Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Daniela Elizari, workplace well-being expert and director of well-being at Columbia University. Daniela is responsible for leading the well-being strategy to support the faculty and staff of Columbia University, including the development of all related programs and initiatives, communications, and partnering with well-being stakeholders both within the university and with external experts. Daniela joined Columbia University as their director of well-being in March of 2020. And before taking on her current role, Daniela supported nutrition and wellness initiatives at the university through United Healthcare Optum, partnering with Columbia University's Human Resources Department and Office of Work Life. In addition to her work at Columbia, Daniela also has completed training in various areas of well-being, including fitness, mindfulness, mental health, and healthy space and design, supporting more holistic well-being. Without question, Daniela is a workplace well-being leader, and I'm excited to have her joining the HR Works podcast today to help us take a closer look at the major role that well-being and wellness play in creating an optimal employee experience as we wrap up 2023 and look ahead to 2024. So without further ado, let's get Daniela welcome. Daniela, welcome to the HR Works podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Josh. That was quite the introduction. Thank you so much for sharing all of that about my background. You are very welcome. <laughs> and just again, excited to get you introduced to our audience here on the HR Works podcast. So let's get started there, Daniela. As I gave you, again, a brief intro to Daniela with her bio, but what was that initial spark that led you to building a career around wellness, health, and nutrition? So actually, a lot of my career has been more of a progression and less so of a spark. There was a spark initially when I had decided to become a registered dietitian um, and I worked in nutrition for many years in a hospital working with patients. And what I realized during that time is that the people in the hospital were actually pretty unhealthy. Um, A lot of that was due to the environment and of working in a high stress place like a hospital. And, um, you know, my colleagues and I were asked to start teaching a weight management class. And, you know, at that time, probably like 10, 15 years ago, that was what employee wellness was all about, right? It was much more focused on physical. And from there, I learned more and more about ways to enhance well-being in the workplace. I started working at Columbia, working on various wellness and well-being initiatives there. So it's really been this like steady progression over the years. You know, I didn't just wake up one day and say, you know, I I really want to pursue a career in employee well-being or get into the HR space. It's something that was kind of much more natural and very glad to be here today and get to talk about it with you. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. We're excited to have you. It seems like it was very organic and again, just happened over time and really just following that path from one step to the next and has brought you here today again as Director of Wellbeing at Columbia University. So let's get started really looking at this under the umbrella of employee experience. So, so many of us have experienced some form of remote or hybrid work over the past few years. And you touched on this just briefly a second ago. But how has that changed our understanding of well-being and what it means to really have true, healthy work-life balance as an employee? So I think this is a concept that's really developed, especially as my career has developed over the past several years, is that 
you know, we first started thinking about employee wellness or well-being mostly in the physical sense. Right. Then we started to think more about various domains of well-being, right? So then we started to talk about mental and emotional well-being. The pandemic really highlighted some of that. We've spoken more about spiritual well-being, cultural well-being, financial, um, career or cognitive, all these different areas that make up our well-being. But I think what's happened in the past few years is is even going beyond those various domains. And just to look at a person more holistically, that we're more than just what we do at work. What we do at work is so important, but we're not really living in a vacuum. You know, we have other roles and responsibilities in our lives. For example, um, I'm also a mother and a wife and my family's so important to me and being able to work remotely a few times a day means I could probably make it to take my daughter to her gymnastics class today at 4.30. That is what gives my life more meaning and purpose and helps me live a fuller life. And being able to work in a place that allows me to do that is really important as well. So when we think about well-being now, you know, we're thinking more of a whole person and we don't even say work-life balance anymore. We really talk more about integration because we're never fully in balance, right? Like sometimes our work is more demanding and sometimes home is more demanding. And it's really hard to create that expectation that will be fully in balance at any one given moment, but it's more about our employers hopefully being flexible with us and us also being flexible with them. And I think finding that integration is really being able to attain well-being in all aspects of life. That integration piece is so key with guests on our podcast. The idea of work-life blend is how I've heard it put. And I really like that one because it is so true. It's not an on-off switch to say, okay, now I'm working, now I'm back to life. It, it meshes together, and it's really finding that balance, that blend of the two. That's really been a good way to look at it. Integration is a great way to look at, at it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Surgeon General's office, they're now calling it work-life harmony, which sounds really idealistic, but it really sounds like a, a beautiful thing that hopefully we can all attain in in some capacity. I think it's really interesting to look at just our understanding of well-being. As you mentioned, it was once looked at as being strictly physical, right? Am I healthy? Am I am I not getting sick? But now it's understanding really since experiencing what it means to be in a hybrid setting and, and really what it means to have work-life blend and balance and harmony. We've had that taste of it. So I think that's changed our expectations and our understanding of what's possible. You really started to see, okay, this is what it meant to have well-being and have the mental component of it looked at and just the stress component looked at and really just being able to work life and work together, that's certainly changed over the past few years. So what are those employee expectations and how have they changed over the past few years? So I think if you want to attract and retain top talent, you need to acknowledge that your employee is a whole person with other roles and responsibilities and interests. And by supporting them in many areas of life, you are supporting their well-being, but you're also supporting them in doing a better job at work too. So, you know, without offering some kind of flexibility, you really do risk losing your current talent and you're failing to attract new talent in this really tight labor market that everybody is constantly talking about. I was looking at um, a workplace poll recently that looked at folks who temporarily left the workforce. And the number one reason that they returned to work was that they were able to come back in some sort of a flexible way. And this doesn't mean that, you know, that like you get to come into the office on Mondays and I come in on Fridays and my working hours are eight to four and your working hours are, you know, 10 to six. I, I think it's about finding 
exactly what strategy will help meet your business goals while also allowing your employees to thrive outside of work. So for example, at Columbia, um, the central administration has left these decisions to individual business units. As you can imagine, a university is comprised of many different schools and departments who are operating in so many different ways. And I think it's been very empowering for us as a team and as a group with our leader to figure out the best way for us to function as a business unit. And for us, it's meant that, you know, we come into the office twice a week, we've decided on Mondays and Thursdays, and then having the flexibility to work remotely on other days as we'd like. I think a lot of these issues are also like generational. I think some of the younger folks who have, you know, maybe smaller homes that don't have spaces to work in want to come to the office more. They want that like old school Facebook vibe of like going to work and hanging out with your friends all the time. Whereas maybe someone who's a parent might want that flexibility in a different way to help facilitate what's going on at home while maybe saving on like childcare costs and things like that. So there really isn't one answer, but having some flexibility and being open to conversations, I think that's really where we need to begin. Uh, thank you for that. And I think what's really encouraging is that approach that you're taking at Columbia University of what works best for your business units or what works best for your organization. If you want to broaden that to our audience members here. You've really got to look at what that flexibility means and what works best for both your business operations, but also for your employees to really make the best scenario for what you need. But I think it's safe to say it's vital for employers right now to show that they're invested and committed to work-life balance and well-being. Would you say so? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly something we're seeing both to attract current talent that's out in the market, but also retain your talent. I think retention is as important right now and as vital as bringing in new talent. It's keeping your employees that you've got engaged really locked in and feel like they're able to achieve that balance that, as we mentioned earlier, I think we got a taste of what it meant to have now the expectation is there to say, hey, you know what? I can achieve this. I, I like this. This is good for me. This is what I'd like to see out of my employer, out of my work experience now. So I think we're at a unique point where organizations really need to take it seriously and look at it as a vital piece of, of what they're offering and creating that employee experience. Now, one thing we're looking at just as of late, Daniela, is this recent surge of return to office. You really can't read news headlines without seeing RTO mandates from so many large organizations, but even smaller that are now returning. I think I recently saw a uh, Forbes piece that predicted nine out of 10 companies will be returning to office if they haven't already. So there's, there's really a trend that we're seeing moving back to some form of in-office. Again, whether it's fully in-office or hybrid, teams are bringing their employees back. So how does that impact work-life balance and what factors of employee well-being should we be paying close attention to during these transitions from maybe being fully remote to back in office? Sure. And I think one of the things that we all have to be aware of that it is a process. So now it's 2023, almost 2024. These things aren't going to happen overnight. And I think it's a really delicate balance to listening to your employees, but also understanding what's best for teams and understanding what's best for the business. So I think employers need to think about why employees want to stay remote and help ease the transition. Like there might be financial benefits of staying home, right? So, right. you know, living in, well, I live in Manhattan, but if you're commuting into Manhattan, it could cost like $30, $40 a day to come out of the city. But even living in Manhattan, the days that I am going into the office, you know, I have to pay my babysitter a few more hours to a lot for that time for me to 
go into the office and come home and have a second. So talk to your employees and and what are they thinking about? How could you ease the transition? Maybe they don't know that you offer um, different kinds of transit benefits or childcare benefits because they've been home for the past few years and they haven't needed to use those benefits so much or they've been using them in different ways. So I think gathering data through conversations with employees and helping them ease that, what they might think of as a burden to help them get back to the office more comfortably. And maybe it can start by coming into the office once or twice a week and then eventually getting to the goal, let's say the goal is to come in like three or four times a week. So giving them the time to get used to that transition as well. Well, and that goes back to that idea of flexibility, even down to bringing employees back and having some flexibility, being clear about that flexibility as well. I had a great conversation recently with a guest about the idea of what is flexible. And you really need to be upfront about that, communicate that. The conversation that I had previously had was more on the talent and recruiting side of things, but it can be said for the employee experience as well. And as you're bringing employees back, be very clear about what your expectations are with return to office, with what flexibility could be. So there is really some understanding going into it. And then you can also listen to your employees to really address some of those concerns, initially bringing teams back, but even in the six months to a year after doing so. Yeah. And I think continuing with like pulse surveys can be really important. And also remembering that there isn't, you know, flexibility and like remote work. These have become like really general terms, but there are different kinds of flexible work strategies that employers can utilize. So, you know, maybe that means for certain demographics or or workplaces, they can think more about like compressed schedules, like you work, you know, one or two longer days so you can log off early a different day. Or allowing, especially for like young parents or people who have pets or other caregiving responsibilities, allowing um, their employees to maybe log off for a couple hours. Let's say I log off from like three to five so I can spend time with my daughter, but then, you know, logging on for a couple hours at night. I mean, I would never do that. I'd probably wake up early the next morning to finish up my work, but, you know, allowing some flexibility throughout the day and and being creative with how you're managing these tools. It doesn't mean that we all need to be remote all the time, or it doesn't have to be this like all or nothing strategy. Yeah, I think that that really leads so nicely, Daniela, into my next question here. For those teams that are bringing employees back in 2024, are there any policies, maybe practices that maybe didn't exist previously prior to going fully remote or prior to being in a hybrid environment that HR teams should be thinking about introducing as either benefits or workforce policies that can really soften the transition or make that transition that inevitable change that work-life balance is going to experience from coming back into the office, make it a bit easier. Are there any that teams should be thinking of offering here? Sure. I mean, in general, I think this is a time that's really crucial for employers because they can think about what kind of employer do they want to be? How do they want to be perceived? Do they want to be that employer who's in offering rewards or incentives to get employees in the office? Are they saying like, you know, for our team meetings from now on, we're going to offer lunch or healthy snacks or as part of coming on site, you'll be able to engage in these on-site well-being programs. That's something that we've seen some folks at Columbia do um, or have more team building activities in person, which is something people have really been craving the past few years. Um, or do they want to punish their employees for not showing up? It's like, are they taking attendance or docking pay or threatening to fire those who don't comply? So I think you know which is better for morale. Um, but how, like, what's the strategy to get people in? Are you using a characteristic? I think that's a really important um, 
a really important thing for employers to think about right now. Um, and when it comes to benefits, you know, offering new benefits is always um, something that can be costly, but there are maybe, maybe you already have benefits in place, maybe communicating about them, um, but think about different benefits that could ease the transition back to work, right? So maybe um, if you're not already offering some kind of childcare benefit, um, this could be a good time to think about that, um, or even partnering with childcare centers in your community, um, giving folks time to think about their childcare options, um, giving folks money back through like flexible spending accounts, through like transit benefits, um, or offering backup care for children and elders or, or, or some kind of pet benefit. So if you've been walking your dog every day, now you have to think about who's going to do that. So, you know, there's a lot of different benefits and there's also something that different kinds of trainings that can be offered for like managers about how to manage employees with remote schedules. I, I'm not necessarily a trainer in that, but that does exist. So like, you know, how do you keep tabs on someone who's remote three days a week? Um, you know, you have to empower your staff and your managers to figure out what's the best way of communicating or working together with all of these digital tools. Yeah, it's providing your team with resources, whether again, those are training resources to fully equip your managers to these new scenarios that they may be entering into. Or it could even be resources as simple as providing some benefits to ease that transition back. One thing that comes to mind for me is this growth that we're seeing of mindfulness products and apps and resources that exist now that are much easier to bring into workforce. And that's one that I would certainly think would be helpful in, in easing transition as well as, as, again, I think our awareness of mindfulness being such a key component of workplace well-being now it becomes too easy to find some of these apps and maybe make those available to your workforce as well. If you haven't already, I think we saw a lot of organizations really lean into that during the thick of 2020 and the pandemic, when so many of us were working from home and under a lot of stress, that there were a lot of mindfulness apps that became integrated, offering yoga classes or fitness classes. I think that can also give a new component to your workforce as well, who may be coming back into an office. Yeah, absolutely. I think the apps and the the wellness technology has become huge over the past few years. I think now it's time to think more about what you can do on site. Um, I was I was working the, the past year, I've been working very closely with our own HR team at Columbia, um, and they've been trying to get their folks back into the office. And they've been thinking about ways to engage their folks and use this opportunity of coming back into the office as a way to enhance team culture within HR. And what we've been working with them on is to have different kinds of events and programming in office. So, you know, you're accessing them um, with your colleagues in the office. It's a great way to build social connections. Um, and we've done things like step challenges with walks with leadership. They've done like cooking demonstrations and on-site yoga classes and meditation sits as a way to offer something positive to folks who are coming into the office as well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that was the one missing component too with working from home or for with remote work was that you missed that in-person connection, which was really vital to a lot of corporate culture. So now that you've got teams back, embrace that, create those connection opportunities, but then also use those opportunities to improve well-being, improve that work-life balance, improve work-life harmony, uh, and really provide some great resources that'll ultimately bond your organization together as well as helping them uh, in their day-to-day. 
Yeah, it's so funny because I was actually like dreading going back into the office. Um, My daughter was born during the pandemic. So I only knew how to be a mom that works remotely. And I was so used to like knowing what was going on. But once I got into that office, let me tell you, I did not get any work done. I was just like socializing and chatting with everyone. And I was like, this is great. I like really miss that like in office culture and vibe. And, you know, they say like the people who are the happiest and most productive at work are the ones who have the best friend at work. And I'm lucky enough to be part of that statistic. It was just like so nice to have my work best friend back and uh, like chat with her all day. <laughs> yeah, it's a crucial component, I think, of that entire employee experience is having that that in-person, that engagement uh, opportunity that is really unique to being in office that oftentimes maybe doesn't get talked about as much in the new era of hybrid and remote work. I really want to tap into your background as a nutritionist as well. And uh, I think this could really help our audience out as we're entering into the holiday season, right? So things get busy for us. We've got a lot of holiday parties. There's a lot of holiday stress too that come into really juggling both work-life balance again and then a blend. So as we enter the holiday season, what are some of those threats to employee wellness, work-life balance, and even nutrition that we should be thinking about both as people leaders, but as employees ourselves? If you've got any just in mind that you can share with our audience, that'd be great. Sure. I mean, in the area of workplace well-being, when we're thinking about the holidays, like the number one thing that you should be thinking about is stress, right? Because the holidays mean the end of the year. Um, That means for many organizations and employees, they're dealing with the stress of end of year tasks. Like, what did I finish this year? I need to get that deadline. Um, So I can say that I did an X, Y, and Z in 2023, and it did not get left to 2024. You know, there's this like finite deadline of like things you have to get done. So there's a lot of pressure there. Then there's a lot of financial pressure with like holiday spending and gifts. Um, I always feel lucky to be Jewish because I don't have to buy a million (laughs) presents for everyone in our, in my culture, you know, like the gifts are not as big of a part of Hanukkah as they are about Christmas. So just know that your folks are dealing with that work pressure, that financial pressure. And then there's pressure and stress that comes with the general nature of holidays and spending time with family. Sometimes that can be something contentious, having time with family. Or the opposite of that, sometimes we see folks dealing with the stress of not having um, family or loved ones nearby um, and just feeling maybe a little bit more isolated or lonely. And sometimes social media can exacerbate that. What's really interesting is, um, I think through the Surgeon General, you know, they've been talking more um, about like loneliness and isolation. And that's something that really does come up around the holidays. And this mindful meditation instructor that we work with at Columbia, she does a lot of different kinds of workshops for us. And she suggested doing a session around isolation and loneliness. It's something people are really feeling, especially with the use of technology, sometimes we feel like extra alone. And, you know, we build these things, scenarios in our heads that we have no friends and nobody cares about us, which really isn't the case. And so we did a session with her, uh, like last week or the week before, like right before Thanksgiving time. And the registration for that was like through the roof. We had hundreds of people register who were really interested in this topic of what is loneliness and isolation and finding community. So just know that folks have a lot going on mentally, emotionally, socially with their families, that it's the end of the year. If you can give folks a few extra days off, it's usually just like three extra days between Christmas and New Year's. Just know that your employees will feel a lot of gratitude for that um, and will just come back feeling um, refreshed and ready to work. 
Yeah, that's great. I mean, those are simple ways to show that gratitude to your workforce, which is appreciated. And that, again, builds back to that that idea of employee experience, really creating that uh, that meaningful experience for your whole workforce, which is key. I mean, there, are there any other benefits, services, programs that HR and wellness teams should be thinking about this time of year to maybe introduce either short term or with a long term strategy? built around this holiday season where, where, as you mentioned, stress is kind of at a, at a peak as we're taking time off, as we're trying to wrap up end of year. You're looking back at the full year and trying to prepare for 2024. So any other services or benefits out there that our audience should be thinking about? Sure. I mean, I think it's a really good time to to introduce mindfulness and stress management techniques. Like if you want to host something like a holiday meditation sit, um, or it's, I also think it's a good time to introduce um, strategies around gratitude. So asking individuals from all levels of the organization to maybe write a letter to the employee population or to their teams um, for gratitude for what we've done, for example, this year, and then encouraging um, folks to send letters, especially like a handwritten note around gratitude to their colleagues about why they're thankful for them or you know what they look forward to working with them on in the next year to start to build more of those social connections and that cohesion between your your teams and i think a little bit of holiday fun and, and celebration is another great way um, to get folks together in the office and it doesn't have to be something like grand um, or too expensive it could be as simple as a as a potluck with some team building activities um, to just bring people together around something fun and positive yeah i love that and there should always be fruits and vegetables involved there's, <laughs> as the nutrition part of it. Um, just, you know, making sure that you're offering nutrient-dense foods as part of the experience is always a positive thing, too. Yeah, bringing that healthy option is, is, is smart this time of year. Is there are plenty of uh, bad foods for us to indulge in this time of year? Get, getting some healthy options on the table is a smart thing. But I love what you said, too, there, Daniela, as far as having looking at gratitude, looking at just easy they don't have to be expensive options to integrate into your workforce that can really go a long way. It can be, like you said, a potluck. Uh, it doesn't have to be some massive lift for teams, but they can really make a difference in creating that great employee experience at a, at a time of year where people want to be together and really, really have some shared experiences. That That is a really good one there. Now, Daniela, one thing that, that I love to do as part of this podcast and as the shared experience of being on the podcast uh, is giving some takeaways to our audience. So, Looking at, at the employee experience, but looking at wellness and well-being, if you could change one thing that you see too many employers getting wrong when it comes to work-life balance or employee wellness, what would it be? I think we spend a lot of time talking about things that are abstract or paying people to use sophisticated tools, like how are we going to use AI or which app or vendor or data analytic tool we're going to use next. Um, but I think sometimes we forget, and this is someone who works outside of HR and, you know, works with HR in kind of a different capacity, is reminding people that the heart of what is at HR is actually people. So, you know, thinking thinking more about your employees as individuals and also um, thinking more about managers as as people within your organization who can carry out your well-being strategy, I think is really um, important too. Because remember, I mean, you can have a CEO who's going for a run every day and logging onto Headspace and, you know, he's 
making sure to get home at the right time to feed his kids. Um, but it really is your manager who has the greatest direct impact on you. Um, and they're most they're most responsible for your well-being and for company culture. And we're seeing that at Columbia. We're seeing managers reach out asking how they can support their employee well-being. And we've been developing workshops for managers to show them, you know, what are tools and strategies to help them not only take time for their own well-being and self-care throughout the day, but how to encourage their employees to do the same. So think about the people, think about the managers, um, and empower your managers to support their staff in taking breaks throughout the day, taking time that they need. Ask them, like, what do you have that's coming up that's important to you? And how can I help you either make sure you can take the time off for that or make sure we're fitting it into your schedule during this very busy time? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, Danielle. I think that manager group is so crucial and can be a perfect place to not only display acts of wellness and how to live a really balanced approach to working, but also encourage that with your workforce too. I think there, there's kind of a two-pronged approach there. You have to experience it yourself as an employee, but you've also got to encourage that for your direct reports and really help them along, make it possible for them to also have those wellness opportunities and, and really encourage that. Um, that really goes a long way. So yeah, I'm really glad you called that one out, Daniela. That's great. So now we're looking at the HR community. And as you said, somebody who works very closely with HR, then you're in a unique position here as we're at the end of the year. Um, I'd like to call out some of the wins and what the community has done well this year. So what have you seen out of the HR community that's been a win in 2023? What's something that, that you really think has been the best thing coming out of HR this past year? So I could say both internally at Columbia, the conversations that I'm having, but also what I'm reading and hearing about um, is that during this past year, I think I was reading um, a survey about the future of work and they surveyed HR leaders and they said about 70% are considering employee well-being and mental health as a high priority. So I think that's a positive that we're thinking about that. Um, the other thing that I think it has been a positive this past year is something that's really relevant that HR leaders are thinking about, which is financial well-being. And that doesn't mean everybody's going to get like a $10,000 raise in the next year. Um, but it's more thinking about where we are right now in the state of inflation um, and the cost of living and, you know, this ongoing looming recession that we're constantly talking about. Um, but how are we going to support our employees through this time? through this tough financial time. And it's not realistic that, you know, everybody's going to get an extra check at the end of the year, but maybe we're talking more, um, HR leaders have been talking more about financial literacy and there are a million apps out there and platforms and services. If you do want to invest, I think that's fantastic. But if you're not, maybe look to the resources that you already have to improve the financial literacy of your audience, um, maybe contacting your EAP or um, through your retirement plan vendor. You know, they offer resources or workshops. Sometimes it's like one-on-one -on -one coaching that's offered already um, to help employees think about their financial security right now, but also their financial security for the future. I think we'll be talking about financial for a very long time. Yeah, that is so good. And again, such a great resource that teams can offer up. Um, that financial literacy piece is crucial. Yeah, thanks for that, Daniela. So looking at 2024 with what's coming up too, again, this is a perfect time to be really looking back, but also looking ahead in the wellness and well-being space. Is there something you're especially excited for? Is there an emerging trend that you're looking forward to coming into the new year? 
Yeah. So I was actually looking recently, Forbes put out like a list of the top five HR trends for 2024. I always get excited at the end of the year of like what we're going to be talking about next year. Um, and I wish I was doing the one doing the the predictions, but sometimes it's it's exciting to see what what these organizations are putting out. Um, so, you know, some of the things they have been talking about, um, AI, everybody's talking about AI is what we'll be talking about next year. Um, compensation, of course, that makes sense with financial, employer-employee relations, HR tech platforms. Um, and the last one, which I think is the most interesting, is um, supporting employees in finding new skills, like learning de- learning and development as a topic of well-being. And um, at Columbia, we always have seen cognitive or intellectual well-being as a dimension of well-being. And I think now that we've like finally learned how to navigate this like remote hybrid environment that we're working in, um, we figured it out. We're good. Now we need to think about supporting our employees in their next steps and what they're going to do next and help that empower them with new, new skills, because that's really what's going to keep your um, employees energized. And it really goes hand in hand with the burnout that we hear about and are talking about so much. Some of that burnout is due to, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, not being stimulated. Um, but, but by offering your employees new skills, like for me, something I'm working on is, is exactly what we're doing now is like these new kinds of speaking engagements where I'm, I'm not just reading from slides, but I actually have to like think and be on it throughout a real conversation is so much harder. Like offering your employees a skill like that can be a really cool way to help them build on the things that they're they're already doing. So, you know, I want to hear more from folks in learning and development in the next year. And I, I really look forward to that. Well, you're doing a great job in terms of getting out from the <laughs> there, but no, that's great. I mean, that idea of mental stimulation and really growing your workforce upskilling, we talk about it so much within the HR community, within the HR space, but I think that's something great to look forward to and just building on that now too and looking at how do you grow your employees really, not just succession planning, but planning them for their future and helping kind of career path, uh, even your newest employees and, and bringing them into exploring new things. And, and I think to your point, right, that mental stim- stimulation is going to really help fight off any burnout issues that that really were a challenge for so many of us over the past few years. So that that is a great one to to look forward to there. Thank you for that, Daniela. So again, we're here with Daniela Elizari, workplace well-being expert and director of well-being at Columbia University. Now, Daniela, talking about growth and upskilling really of employees, this is a great transition here. Is there anything you've learned about yourself over the past year or you can even expand that if it's been a few years that you feel has made you a better leader? Yeah, I think um for me, it's, you know, I talk so much about treating your employees with compassion and giving them gratitude. Um, I've learned that I really have to do that more for myself. Um, and I've been putting that into practice and offering myself a little bit of grace when things aren't exactly perfect. Or, you know, I try to plan out my week to a T between everything that's going on at home and work. And sometimes, you know, life happens and I could be like pretty hard on myself. But I think, um, what I've been learning is that I need to offer myself a little bit more compassion and grace. And I think for me, that's what I'll be focusing on this next year. That's a great one. And now that we're in the gift giving season, it's the perfect time to give a gift to our audience of advice. And I, I love asking this question with all of our guests, and it's that idea of paying it forward. So do you have a piece of advice that you've leaned on throughout your career that you could pay forward to our audience of HR professionals, recruiting professionals? Um, and just general members of the HR Works community here. Absolutely. 
So something simple and kind of corny, but it works, is actually to listen to your employees. I think I mentioned before, HR professionals spend so much time looking at data, paying others to look at their claims and their data that they have and vendor data and claims. Um, But I think it's really important to have conversations with employees and that can actually clarify some of what you're seeing in the data. So for example, um, Columbia, every year we do like a benefits expo and our our office is there talking to folks about well-being and different work-life issues um, and the different benefits and resources folks have access to. Um, But the one thing that came up consistently as an issue for employees is elder care. And, you know, we have this huge aging population um, and it's probably up to a lot of your employees to be taking care of those elders in certain data or in our well-being data. We see folks, you know, reporting they have high levels of stress and they're not taking time for themselves. Um, But some of that might actually be that, you know, they're dealing with elder care issues and they're caring for more than just their children. So, you know, setting up these opportunities, whether it's through expos or um, like inviting folks into your HR office for like meet and greets or having these opportunities to actually talk to people um, outside of what the data is telling you. And this could even be doing like an, a survey with open-ended questions to gather some different kind of data or feedback can be so powerful and it could help solidify what you're thinking or clarify what you're doing or making small tweaks or maybe even communicating what you already have available to your population. So I think listen, listen, listen. That's my advice to HR professionals. That's great. That's great practical advice. Thank you for that, Daniela. So again, we're here with Daniela Elazari, workplace well-being expert and director of well-being at Columbia University. Daniela, do you have anything you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, anything you're excited about? Now's a great time to share that with our HR Works audience. Certainly let them know if there's a way to get in touch with you to learn more too. Absolutely. You know, I'd love to connect with you all on LinkedIn and and hear more about this conversation and what you're experiencing at your organizations and uh, maybe how we can swap some ideas. So feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I'm Daniela Elizari with an E. All right, perfect. And what we'll do, Daniela, we'll put your link to LinkedIn through our site post on HR Daily Advisor. So for any of our audience members out there that want to connect with Daniela, you can certainly go that way as well to get in touch. But yeah, thank you for that, Daniela. Now, Daniela, one last question that we've got for you. And this is my bonus question that I ask all of our guests <laughs> built around motivation. I like to keep this one. Uh, I don't give you this one in advance because I, I really like getting the answer off the cuff here. You wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor. What's the one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? Is coffee the right answer? A great answer. <laughs> it comes with some quiet time and, you know, a few minutes for myself before I start the day. I think that's what I'm very excited about there to have go. that quiet time in the morning. <laughs> well, that is a great one and a great way to start the day. But again, Daniela Elizari, workplace well-being expert and director of well-being at Columbia University. Thank you so much for being on the HR Works podcast giving us a great look at how well-being and work-life balance integrate and are really playing a key role in creating that employee experience, both at the end of 2023, but going into 2024. So thank you again, just for, for joining us, for being a part of it. We'd love to have you back too and keep this conversation going. Thanks for having me. It's been so fun chatting. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.